I hope your hearts are prepared. It's a good, good day of worship. I'm so thankful for our worship team and our choir and our band and our people in the back. Again, we just can't say it enough and how it takes so many people to make this possible. And without any one of us, it, it would just kind of all fall apart. And so God is so good to bring us together every day and every week um, to be able to do what we do, which kind of leads me into my message today is because it would be so much less of a worship experience if I were just standing up here by myself. But when you put all these voices together and all these instruments together, it just brings out so much more and it, and it elevates the level, in my opinion, of worship to a whole nother level because it's something about doing things what? Together. And God is a God of partnership, and there's so much joy in partnership. And that's what Philippians chapter 2 today, as we kind of wrap up this chapter of the book of Philippians, Paul, and uh, you're going to learn today that he's, he's talking about his some of his dearest friends and fellow servants, some, some like Timothy and Epaphroditus, as we'll see here a little bit later. And, and it's just amazing to me to see Paul's ministry, how he always was working with somebody. He's always bringing somebody along with him because Paul knew the value of ministry and the value of partnershiping in, uh, in the gospel, in, in the ministry of the gospel and in the kingdom. And that's what this whole passage is truly all about. And so let's just look at Philippians 2 this morning. I'm going to fin- I'm going to read verses 19 through the end of the chapter. I just kind of want you to just kind of take it in and then I got some some very simple but very practical truths that I want to uh, share with you from this passage this morning as we talk about the joy of partnership. Philippians 2:19. Paul again writing to the church in Philippi. He says, "I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you." For I have no one like him. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly... I myself will come also. So Paul is still hoping that he'll get to go back to Philippi as he's writing this from prison. Remember, he's chained to a Roman soldier. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard because you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus from Philippi he came to Paul in Rome, and he is ministering. There was a gift that was sent through Epaphroditus to Paul. He gets there, he gets sick, and that's where he's stuck there now. He's not able to get back, and that's what Paul's talking about here. He says, indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him. Therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, 
I thank you that you're a God of relationship. That the very reason that we're here is because you created us for relationship. That you invite us to take part, to be partners in the gospel, partners in the, in the work of the kingdom. That we find no greater significance than when we live our lives with eternity in view. Knowing that our brief time here on this earth is only the beginning. And Lord, that we are privileged to be able to partner with you with the greatest work of known to man, which is the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to reconcile sinners to you through the word of truth. So as we think about this and we consider what it means to partner in the gospel, I pray that we would walk out of here, Lord, not just hearers of the word only, but doers. That we would do something and make necessary changes in our own lives to live up to this great calling that you've given us. And so it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, God is by nature self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He certainly doesn't need us. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's omnipresent. And yet what we find and what we discover in the Word of God consistently over and over and over again from the very moment that he formed Adam out of the dirt of the ground and breathed life into the Son of God, Adam. We see that God's testimony is one of partnership. It's one of relationship. So he doesn't need us, but he wants us. He, he is pleased to create beings in his own image and then he wants to invite us to participate with him to accomplish his purposes. This is the way that God operates. And so we see this not only here on the earth as, as we are called to per participate and partner with the Lord in his work on this planet while we're here. But he's already done this as well in what we call the heavenly realm or in the kingdom of God, which is its own civilization made up of, own, of all uh, entire uh, multitudes of it's sentient beings, angels, angelic beings, whatever you want to call them. We call them angels for the most part. But he created them for the very same reason. Not because he needs them, but because he what? He wants them. He wants to have people to participate with him. It's the way God is. He's a relational God. So he is very much interested in partnership. And we know that, that the primary way on this side of Calvary, on this side of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we know that God has made a very profound way for us to partner with him. And it's called in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That we, we should not ever take for granted for one moment that part of the gospel plan of God was that when Jesus was to go to the cross, was to be resurrected from the grave and ascend to the Father in heaven, he told his disciples, hey guys, it's better if I go away. Now I want you to think about that for just a second. How in the world would the disciples have ever thought for in a million years that it was better that their Messiah was going away? Didn't make sense to them until the day of Shavuot, otherwise known as Pentecost, the disciples gather in Jerusalem as they were commanded to do three times a year. Every male was to present himself to the Lord in Jerusalem. They're there in obedience to the commands of keeping the, fest, the festival of Pentecost. And it's there that the Holy Spirit 
descended upon the disciples, filling them and empowering them in a new and a profound way where there was this spiritual union that took place. See, in the, in the, in the Hebrew scriptures, when we read the accounts of people like David and Moses and Elijah and, and all of the prophets of old, you see, there's this unique relationship that God had with them is that the Holy Spirit would come upon them many times to accomplish different purposes, but then the Holy Spirit would, would oftentimes leave. So it was kind of this come and go, you know, anointing that the, that the prophets and the kings had before the coming of Jesus, the coming of Messiah. But after the coming of Messiah and Jesus accomplished his purposes, ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven so that it was better that he go away because he says it's better that I go away because if I go away, I will send to you who? The helper, a partner. He's the Holy Spirit. The paraclete is what uh, the, the scriptures refer to him as the, the advocate, the helper. In John 14, 26, it's this, this unique union that we have with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. But the helper, J Jesus says, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. So it's not just that the Lord has called us into partnership with himself. You've heard, you've heard me say this before, and you've probably heard it before too. Is it God doesn't call the equipped? He what? He will always equip those whom he calls. So those of you sitting out there today and you're like, you know what, I just don't have what it takes for, for God to use me. That's a lie. If he's calling on you and he's calling you to step up to, a next, to another level of obedience or another level of faithfulness or stewardship or whatever it may be, don't worry about the, how he's going to get it done. He's faithful because if he's calling you, he will what? He will equip you. He will equip you through the Holy Spirit. And that's kind of what Paul is really getting to here. And you just you can sense the joy in his in his tone and in his in, in the language that he's using as he's writing this letter and he's talking about Timothy. And man, we're gonna see that in a minute. And, and Epaphroditus and how connected he was. And Epaphroditus, who almost nearly died in Paul's presence, and it would have just broken his heart, but God healed him. God spared him for that moment. And so Paul is 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 so thankful to have brothers in Christ that he partners with and churches that he partners with and kingdom-minded individuals that he can come alongside and he can work with them because it's just always better to do something together. It really is. I'm, I've, t I've told you guys this before. I, I, I have a tendency to be introverted by nature. It, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I can go lock myself up in a room and read and study and write and listen to music and be away from everybody in the world and I'm just in my happy place. But that's not where God wants to, to, to lead me. Now, is it important that we get some alone time? Yes. Even Jesus took what? He, he needed some alone time, right? Yeah. So we need that alone time, but we're not supposed to stay isolated because God wants us to be working together in partnership with one another. And those are the things that I just want to touch on today. Very simple, very practical message but one, I think it may challenge you a little bit. So the first thing I want to share is that every follower of Christ, okay? So that means if you're a follower of Jesus today, this applies to you. You should have both a Paul in your life and a Timothy. Okay? What do you mean? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you should have, by intention... Someone who is further along in their spiritual journey than you. 
that you're, now listen, you're seeking that person out. They're not always easy to find. But there's, there is someone in your life, and you probably already know, if you don't have a Paul in your life, you're probably already thinking, okay, who could be a Paul? Now let me just back up and say, this hour that you get on Sunday morning is, does not account for what I'm talking about today. Okay? This is just icing on the cake. But I can't be everybody's Paul from the pulpit. I'm talking about relational discipleship. Okay? So there should be somebody. Now listen, it doesn't necessarily mean somebody that's older than you in age. If you really want to be humble, you acknowledge there may be younger people in age who are further along in their spiritual journey than you are. Maybe that's what it takes. But nonetheless, you should have a Paul. Someone who is further along, who is walking with the Lord, who is mature in their faith, who's faithful to the gospel, and you're seeking that relationship out. Because, guys, we all need those spiritual mentors in our life. No one is above that. At the very same time, we should also have some what? Timothy in our life. What do I mean by that? I'm talking about someone who is not as far along in the faith as you are. Someone, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a neighbor, whatever it may be. Maybe it's your grandchild. But there should be someone in your life that you're not only receiving in, in, in this uh, horizontal relationship with your Paul, but you're also pouring out your life into someone who's not quite as far along as you are, and that's your Timothy. Okay? And that's what, that's what I want you to really hang on to with this passage of Scripture today. Every follower of Christ should have a Paul or a Timothy in his or her Life. So let's think about what it means. Um, let's, let's, let's look at Paul and Timothy's relationship just to kind of give, give us a, a foundation of what I'm talking about today. You see, Paul met Timothy in Acts chapter 16. He went to a place called Derby and then to Lystra. And it says there was a disciple there in Lystra named Timothy, a son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Gentile. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Now listen, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. Paul intentionally reached out to Timothy. But Timothy had to make a choice whether or not to stay home with mama, which was probably a lot more comfortable and a lot more, um, you know, in his comfort zone. Or he had a choice to go with who? To go with Paul. And so that's where their relationship began. So Paul kind of takes interest. And Timothy, who was probably a younger man at the time, we don't know exactly how old Timothy was. And then I just want you to hear the language that Paul uses. I'm going to read from 2 Timothy just to give you a, a little bit more context to think about what this special connection was like between Paul and Timothy. You, he even says it here in Philippians. He says, um, he says, I want to send Timothy to you for I have no one like him. It says a lot about who Timothy was, who, who was genuinely concerned for the, the people and it says, for you know, Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he served me in the gospel. So Paul looked at Timothy as a spiritual son, a son in the faith. And, and Paul considered to be, he considered himself to be Timothy's spiritual what? Spiritual father. Okay, so now we kind of see what this relationship was all about. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy. Paul, again, writing to Timothy. By this time, Timothy had been uh, ordained and put as a pastor at the church of Ephesus. And Paul is writing back to him. Listen to what he says. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. Does that sound familiar? I'm, remind, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, 
a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I'm sure dwells in you as well. Hey, where's dad and granddad in the picture? Mothers, grandmothers, do you not think that you have an impression to leave on your grandchildren? Your grandsons, you don't think that you can pass along your generational faithfulness to your sons and grandsons just because you're a mother or a grandmother who maybe has an absent father or maybe they're passed on or whatever it may be. You see, they made a big impression in Timothy's life and laid a solid foundation of faith in his life. So by the time Paul came to know Timothy, Timothy was already walking with the Lord to the credit of his mother and his grandmother because they took this commandment seriously. Literally, he was the Timothy in their life, right? So look at what he says. For this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And later he says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and in the love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You then, my child or my son, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, listen to, listen to what Paul says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do y'all see what's happening here? Paul's like, Timothy, everything that you've seen and you've heard and you've, and you've learned from me, take that and you entrust it to other Timothys, right? Other men, so that then in turn they can turn around and entrust it to who? Other men who can turn around and entrust it to who? You see where we're going with this, guys? This is called the pattern, the exponential growth of discipleship. If it is done correctly, it it, it will change generations in in just a short matter of time. But one break in the chain, one weak link in the chain, you have to start what? All over again. Y'all tracking with me? So there's a very unique relationship that these two had together. Now, this doesn't just apply to to men. I want to bring this up to your attention in Titus. And again, back to Lois and and Eunice, Paul's uh, mother and grandmother. In Titus 2.3, Paul's writing to Titus, and he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. And they are to teach what is good and train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. So this, this, is, this is both in young men, but also in relationships that women have with younger women. Guys, this is the picture of discipleship that we need to take seriously if we're going to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish, to be part of these purposes that he's invited us in, to be part of, to be partners in the gospel. So there's two things I want to say about discipleship. You know, we talk about discipleship a lot, and sometimes I wonder, it's kind of like the gospel. When we say the gospel, I often wonder, do we really even know what that means? I mean, sometimes the, the simplest things that we talk about, church language, you know, we talk about uh, Christian, Christianese. We, we like to talk in, in language that, that only Christians understand, but do we really understand what we're talking about? And I think when it comes to discipleship, All it simply means is that we are learners. 
We're learners and we're doers. So if you're a disciple, you're learning something, like in a classroom setting, you're learning it, but then you're also to take it outside of that classroom and go what? Go apply it, go do it. That's what it means to be a disciple. You're just learning, okay? Now, discipleship, don't don't forget this, it's a two-way street. Always a two-way street. So when the chain, when the link in the chain gets broken, it's usually one of these two things, okay? Either there's no intentionality in the relationship from the Paul to seek out a Timothy, or if a Paul does seek out a Timothy, the Timothy doesn't respond, okay? In order for discipleship to work, it takes what? It takes two. Both have to be serious and intentional about what we're talking about today, which is discipleship. For discipleship to be successful, it requires commitment and intentionality on both parties, And I know many of you in this room have probably experienced this before. Maybe you have sought out somebody to disciple before. And you tried and you tried and you tried and tried and they they just didn't reciprocate. What should you do? Well, Jesus kind of gives us an example. When When he sent the 72 out into the different cities to prepare the way and to be his witnesses. He said, listen, if a city doesn't receive you, don't beat your head up against the wall and try to force it, he said, just what? Just shake the dust. It's okay. That's on them. That's, that's their choice. Move on to someone that's more receptive. So guys, I don't think God is necessarily calling us to beat our heads against the wall and spend years and years and years and years trying to just pull somebody along with us who's not willing to go. If you're, if you're called to go and invest in somebody's life and to be a Paul in someone's life and they just aren't interested, then what? Move on. Move on to find somebody else who's, who's going to be intentional and who's going to be committed to this relationship. But here's the other way discipleship is a two-way street. The end goal of discipleship, okay, is when the disciple becomes a disciple maker. That's when the discipleship is really, it comes full what? Full circle. And that's what Paul and Timothy, that's what they're talking about right here. That's what he just told Timothy, right? He says, listen, I want you to teach everything that I commanded you, everything that, I've, that you've learned from me, teach that to men so that they can turn around and teach it to more men. So that by the time we have spiritual children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in our family tree, in our spiritual family tree, that's when discipleship has been accomplished. Until then, it's really lacking. And guys, I'm just going to step back and be honest. Somewhere along the way, I don't know when it happened and how it happened, but we as a church, we've kind of dropped the ball on this. But we're getting it back. Amen? It's time to get it back. If we don't get it back, God help our children. The next generation that's growing up in this world right now, you're telling me that they have a chance? If we're not serious and intentional about investing in them and pouring into them and laying a spiritual foundation in their life so that they have a chance to be able to walk with Jesus in this crazy, wicked, and corrupt generation. We better get it back. Our, li- our, our children's lives depend on it. So that's what I'm talking about today. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Who's your Paul? Don't, you don't have to answer out loud, but I'm just, you need to, right now, think about it. Who is your Paul? If you don't have one, start praying about it. You may want to write a few names down right now. 
And if you're, if you're out there seeking a Paul, don't wait for them to come to you. Go to them. And just be up front and say, hey, I need a spiritual mentor. I need somebody that, that's going to hold me accountable. I need somebody that's going to teach me something. One of the testimonies of my ministry in my life is that I was, many of you may or may not know, I was a church planter. My family and I, we planted a church in the Mississippi Delta uh, for about five years. And if you had seen me the first year, I knew everything. I'm about to show these people how to do church. All these set in their ways, religious people down here. We're going to come in here and shake things up. Five years later, I'm limping away. I can't do it anymore, Lord. Seriously, I came into that very prideful, very arrogant, thinking that I was going to show somebody how they're going to do church. And God had to teach me through that experience. He said, son, you, have, you do not know anything. You don't know anything. And I didn't know. And through some great humility, through some very humbling circumstances, I finally began to understand after five years, Lord, I'm not ready for this. I'm not saying God didn't do some good things. He did some great things because that's the way God is. In spite of us, he's still going to bless and do some, some good things through us. But when I walked away, when my family and I we literally limped away from five years of church planting, I mean, it nearly broke us. And I, I said, Lord, I don't know what you have for me next. But I had a couple of conditions as I began to pray. I said, God, whatever church you lead me to yet, next, I need some godly men who have ministry experience, who have some life experience. I need some gray hairs. They're going to teach me something that I can learn from, that I can grow under, that I can mature with. And praise God, hallelujah, he placed me right here in Christ Church. Where we have men who have been on this staff, three of them, over 30 years. At one church. Guys, you never that's unheard of. People like Brother John Latimer and Randy Lockley and Chris Ellison. People like Jim Cole, who was the, actually my contact, who called me to come to interview for this church. And we have men in this church who have just brought me underneath their wing. I have learned more from John Latimer in these last five years, and I've learned about ministry than I learned all throughout my seminary days in a classroom. Because that's what I needed, and that's where God brought me. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so much better off because of that. So God's placed some Pauls in my life, right? But then also we're supposed to have some Timothys in our lives. Who's your Timothy? Who, who is that person or people in your life that God has placed in your care that you can pour into? That you can love on and lead and and develop a relationship with it and, and bring them along with you. Just like Brother John and Randy and Jim and Chris have brought me along with them. Many of you, if you're a parent or a grandparent, you don't have to look much further than your children and grandchildren. That's enough Timothy right there, probably than you can probably more than you bite off than you can chew, right? But let's at least start there. But if it's not that, you may be in a different season of your life. It doesn't matter. There's somebody out there, and you probably already know who it is. 
because that's the way God wants. Because God wants this to happen more than I do. He wants it to happen more than you do. So if he does, then he's going to make a way. He's going to make a way for it to happen. But we've got to be willing to be intentional about it, to start praying about it, and you need to go home and write down some names, and then let's get on it and let's go act on it. Let's don't just be hearers of the word. Great, great message, Pastor Marcus. Okay, what are you doing about it? What are we doing about it? That is our calling. So it could be a friend, a family, a coworker, a teammate, a classmate. There's no shortage, guys, of disciple makers and potential disciples in Christ. Amen? Number two. So we need a Paul, we need a Timothy. Number two, we just need each other. Let me give you some reasons why. We need, we need each other to bear each other's what? Burdens. And the late, great Dr. Adrian Rogers, he said it better than anybody. He says, when you come together in a church family, you divide one another's sorrows and you multiply our joys. Think about that for a second. We need people that when we are going through deep sorrow and grief and struggle, that we have these people who come alongside us and they help carry the load. They help bear the burden. They, they divide our sorrows among themselves. So that we know this is probably the most important thing that any of us walking through this life needs to know. Hey, I don't know what you're going through. It may be terrible. You may be having a very, very difficult time. But you are not alone. If we hear that, if we know that, listen, we can face some incredible challenges as long as we just know one thing. I'm not alone. I don't have to do it all by so we divide those sorrows so those people come alongside us in, in a church family in a discipleship context to help bear those burdens that we're trying to carry on our own of course the lord is ultimately the one we lay everything down i get that we understand that but god he put us in relationship with each other for a reason but then we also get to multiply our joys so that when we hear those testimonies that I was talking about earlier, when you hear about what God, that's why I love for you to share testimonies. When you're talking to your uh, small group leader or your pastor or your friend at church or whatever, just share what God is doing in your life. Because when we hear the good news of God's working in your life, it encourages us and we get to celebrate with you and be reminded of how good and faithful and how amazing God really is. That's what it means to share and to multiply our joys. So I want you to think about just some of the reasons or some of the benefits. You know, when I think about church membership, by the way, we, we do have a starting point class coming up uh, next Wednesday, the 23rd. For those of you who are interested in learning more about our church or wanting to possibly join uh, this church. And I, and I think about that, you know, I'm like, well, we don't want to manipulate people into joining the church. And we don't want to. We don't want to give them any sense of. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, we don't want to give them some type of false sense of um, trying to sell something. No, we're not trying to sell you anything. But you know, one thing that we often, I think, what we fail to do as as churches is sometimes I think we fail to tell people what your benefit really is to being part of a church family. You know, yeah, okay, we get another member, and maybe they can, they can help uh, support the ministry and serve in the church, and, and, and that's, that's huge, and that's very, very important. But what does the member get out of joining a church? Not just 
good music or great coffee, air conditioning and comfy chairs, right? So much more than that. And when we think about the benefits of being part of a church family, I want you to think about this. You get to, you get to meet new friends. How many of you, when you, when, you, when you chose to follow Jesus and you chose to, 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 com, to, to commit your life to him, how many of you lost friends over that? How many of you had to walk away from a circle of friends or, or a lifestyle that you once were part of because you made a choice to follow Jesus? That's okay, because when you come to a church family, God gives you new what? And he gives you better friends. You get to be part of a family. Some of you in here don't have much of a very good relationship with your biological family. It's just, it's just part of the world that we live in. It's unfortunate, but it's true. Guess what? God says, that's okay. You may, maybe you don't have a very good relationship with your biological family. Maybe you don't have very many people alive left in your biological family. So I'm going to turn around and give you a what? Family. Isn't that important? Very important. That's a benefit of being part of a church. You are, you are given encouragement. Don't give up. I'm praying for you. Hang in there. You are not alone. I'm with you. We're with you. We got your back. I'm here for you. You can do this. God is faithful. We get those words of encouragement. You have people praying for you. People faithfully praying for you and for your family. You get the support that you need, whether that be psychological, emotional, financial, whatever it may be. We're here to help each other. We're here to support one another. You have accountability in your life so that you will have honest people who love you, know they love you. And so they're going to be able to look at you and tell you the truth. We probably have plenty of people in the world today in our lives that are not going to really be completely honest with us and tell us what we really need to hear, but they probably maybe are going to tell us what we want to hear. A real church family, in a loving way, is going to be able to help share words of truth, speak the truth in love, so that we're held accountable, right? Hey, what, what are you doing? I, I, see you, I see you've been kind of drifting away. You're headed down this path, and, and it's, I'm, I'm concerned for you. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, I love you, and I'm going to tell you this as a brother or a sister. I don't like what I see. I don't like the direction that you're headed. Is there anything I can do for you? I'm here for you. We need that accountability in each other's lives. That's a benefit of being part of a church family. We have spiritual stimulation. The book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the meeting together with one another, but what? Stir one another up with, for love and for good works all the more as you see the day approaching. It's that, it's that spiritual stimulation that we need as we, as we kind of help encourage each other as we stir one another up. And we grow and we, we're stronger because of our church family. All of these things are so, so very important. And so we do need each other. And that's what Paul is saying right here. In Philippians, he says, I want to send Epaphroditus. He was your messenger and your minister to my needs. Paul had needs. And he called on the church at Philippi to meet those needs. And they sent Epaphroditus to meet those needs. And Paul was so blessed to know that he was not alone in his fight and in his ministry. And finally... The last thing I would say about the joy of partnership is that every follower of Jesus must be willing to risk 
his or her life for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Now you may say, that doesn't sound very joyful to me. But as I share with you guys, um, and maybe it's been several weeks ago, but as we share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, something happens. When you go through difficulty, persecution, and suffering, especially for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, something amazing happens. It is in those moments that God reveals himself to us on a whole other level of intimacy and faithfulness and his presence in our life is felt in a, in a, in a very profound way. So that it is in the midst of those difficulties and struggles and sufferings that that is where we get to meet with God. And we get to know him. And we get to experience his faithfulness. And at the end of the day, we become like him. There's a lot of joy in that. There is joy in becoming like who? Becoming like Jesus Christ. And so we know what Jesus said. He said it all throughout the scriptures. I don't have time to share with you every verse that I could read, but I'm going to read from Mark chapter 8 because this one makes it very abundantly clear what Paul is talking about here. He says, he called the disciples and he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. See, Epaphroditus risked his life by being faithful to Jesus and the gospel. He nearly died. And you know what? If he had, it would have been okay. He would have died a man doing what God called him to do, being faithful to Jesus Christ and his gospel. So how do we overcome? We overcome by faith. How do we overcome? We overcome by the blood of the lamb. How do we overcome? We overcome by the word of our testimony. We've seen this all throughout the scriptures, but I want to share with you one verse that means more to me than probably any other verse in the Bible. I'm not here to tell you that everybody in here needs to have a life verse. Um, I don't necessarily think that's like a prerequisite. You know, you come up to people, hey, what's your life verse? Uh, I don't know. The Bible? I I don't know what my life verse is. It's okay. You don't have to have a life verse. But this verse was so, God used this particular verse in my life in, in such a profound way. I don't know. It's kind of one of those moments when I finally, I think I finally kind of figured it out who I really was. And it's Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live. But it is Christ who lives in me. It is Christ who lives in me. And so now I live by faith. The life that I live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20. Now I want you to think about it from this perspective. How do you threaten a dead man? I'm already dead. 
I died a long time ago when I put my faith in who? In a sense, I was nailed with him to that. My old self has already been put to death. What do I have to fear now? Well, you're going to kill me? You're going to torture my family? You're going to hurt somebody? You're going to hurt me? You're going to hurt my family? What do you, what, how can you threaten me when I'm already dead? There's nothing more you can do to me because I've already been crucified with Christ. And so the life that I continue to live in this body, I'm going to live it by faith in the Son of God who what? Loves me. I know he loves me because he died for me. He gave himself up for me. So guys, that right there was the moment that basically all my fears were settled. Who do I have to fear now? The only fear we should have is what we talked about last week, a healthy fear of who? Healthy fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. I don't have to fear man. Jesus says, don't fear man. He can kill your body, so fear me. I hold your soul in my hands. That's what I'm talking about. So when we bring that mentality and that kind of an attitude and that kind of a perspective to our relationship with Jesus Christ, guys, we don't hesitate to partner with Jesus. No matter where he may call us or where it may lead us. I think that many times we grow so comfortable and so afraid of what we may end up, what what God may end up calling us to do or, or where he may end up calling us to go that we miss out on so much joy. Because he's got this journey prepared for us, this partnership made, this match made in heaven that he has already ordained for us. But guys, at the end of the day, it's just like everything else that I've talked to you about today. In discipleship, we have a choice. You either choose to be intentional and committed to it or you don't. And the same thing in following Jesus, you have a what? You have a choice. And many of us are going to miss out on so many blessings and so many experiences and so many wonderful, amazing things that God could do in our lives because we're afraid. Of what? What are we afraid of? Dying? I'm already dead. You understand what I'm saying? I've been crucified with Christ. It's not no longer I who live. The old Marcus, he died a long time ago. The only reason I'm standing up here before you today is because Jesus lives in me. That's the joy of partnership. That's the joy of partnership. So as we think about what I've shared with you today, I'm going to close this message and just basically making a challenge to you. You ready? Go be a disciple. And in order to be a disciple, you're supposed to be a disciple maker. Remember? Until that, until that circle comes full circle where you're not only receiving from a Paul, but you're pouring into a Timothy, and that Timothy's pouring into, he becomes a Paul who pours into another Timothy. As we get this exponential discipleship, this, that's what the church is supposed to look like. And guys, let me tell you something. If everybody in this room were faithful, and I'm not saying you're not being faithful. I know many of you are being faithful to that call and that commitment, okay? But if everybody just in this room was being faithful to that calling, we would double in a matter of weeks. And I'm not, you know, it doesn't have to be like this church filling up with more people, but there would probably be more people in here if we were being more faithful as disciples, right? See how simple that is? 
So it's not just about, you know, Christ church. It's about the kingdom. But at the end of the day, this is who we are called to be and this is what we are called to do. And we get to discover so much joy in doing this together. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back up. Those who are supposed to come back up, I think we've got some singers, got a couple people coming back up. We're going to sing one more song today as we, as we close out. I thank you guys for allowing me to be a part of your life. I can't tell you how many people in this room and in this church encourage me. You keep me going. I'll get a phone call every once in a while. I got one from my brother Terry just the other day, just to encourage me. I'll get a, a sweet little note from many of you, and, and I'll open it up. I've been praying for you. Some of you will come up to me in the middle of the week or after the service. I can't tell you everything, that, how much you've blessed me, what God is doing through you. I'm just Those little things, guys, as we come together, it encourages me so much, and it gives me so much joy that I'm able to be part of this church family, just, just a small part. And that we get to multiply our joys together. We divide our sorrows amongst each other. And we're bearing each, other bur- bearing each other's burdens along the way. What a joy that is to be a part of that. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you again for all your blessings. Thank you for the joy as a partnership in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that there be anybody here today who is not being faithful in their call to be a disciple maker or a disciple. That you just get us right on track, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to be faithful. Remind us of the, the great privilege that we have. And Lord, help us not be uh, do, uh, hearers of the word only, but, but Lord, we want to be doers. And so as we walk out of here today, Lord, I pray that we would put this into practice, into action. And that we would see a, a dramatic difference. And all the wonderful things that you are doing, especially for this next generation, God. Because this next generation, I'm so burdened for our children. And Lord, we got to step it up. Grandparents, parents, neighbors, friends, teachers. It doesn't all fall on a youth pastor, God. We have got, it doesn't fall on a children's director. It falls on us. So Lord, forgive us and then help us to be more intentional in our discipleship. For it's your glory and in your name we pray. Amen.